You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Harry gikk sakte mot Sanktansauen. Hodepinnen slo bak øyeballene hans. Adressen Møller hade gitt ham var i god avstand. Han hade hivd litt vann i ansiktet, funnet en droppe viske i skapet under urslagsvasken, og begynte å gå og håpte at gåturen ville klare opp hodet Joe Nespo is a musician, songwriter, economist, and author. His books available in English include The Red Breast and Nemesis. His new novel is The Devil's Star. He's also the main vocalist and songwriter for the Norwegian rock band Didera. In 2007, Nespo also released his first children's book, Dr. Proctor Prompopulver. Thank you for joining me, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. One of the things that I think, uh, uh, well, you know, I want to ask you, you know, you're very, you mentioned that you liked Batman. Your very first Harry Hole novel was called The Batman, right? Yes. So tell us about creating The Batman and, and mm. you know, just when you started this out, did you think this would be the, your only novel about this character or did you already have a, a, an arc planned? Um, I did not have an, uh, have a plan for, uh, for Harry at that time because... Uh, I didn't think it would get published. I <laughs> I, I wrote it in in five weeks, and uh, when they asked me at the publishing house how long time did you spend uh, writing this novel, I I said two years. Just to make it sound like I, <laughs> you know, I put a lot of work into it. Now I did put a lot of work into it, but I I, I worked for uh, so long hours, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, but uh, the title, uh, the Batman. Uh, does not refer to uh, to Batman, uh, the American Batman, but mm-hmm. uh, to an uh, Aboriginal myth in uh, in um, Australia. It's this myth about uh, this woman uh, gathering um, uh, food, uh, and um, she is going to this tree, and uh, there's some honey up in the tree, and she has been told not to go to that tree, and that she. Uh, 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 because then she could wake up the Batman who lives inside the tree. And that is exactly what happens. She tries to shake the tree and the Batman wakes up and he uh, flows out of the tree. And that's when death enters the world. So it's very fascinating because it's, um, it's, a, it's a myth, Aboriginal myth. I mean, uh, the Aboriginals have been living 40,000 years, uh, totally isolated uh, in Australia. Still, they have this story that uh, reminds you of the story of Adam and Eve. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, more mm-hmm. or less the same story. Um, so this, uh, this myth and some other myths uh, are uh, sort of woven into the, the story of... Uh, Harry's adventures in Australia, where he is sent um, because um, there's a young uh, Norwegian girl who is found murdered there. It, one of the things that that I think is really interesting about the the way you write is that I think it's uh, I would describe it as somewhat digressive. You'll you'll give us uh, these wonderfully long and and uh, descriptions of things. Uh, talk about uh, these kind of uh, your your prose style and and. Um, how you just, when you sit down for your writing day, how long, you, you, do you write for 18 hours straight or do you have a word goal now? Or 
Do you give yourself a little bit of a break now that you've had some success? <laughs> yes. Well, I, um, I, I do actually have a word goal. Uh, I don't w- work for 18 hours mm. uh, uh, nowadays, uh, but um, uh, a thousand words a day, that's, that's, like, uh, that's like the goal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to have you know, a, a, a goal like that, that you can just go to the word count and see, okay, <laughs> how... Because I could, I, uh, if, if I did not that, I, I I probably sit and you know write all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, um, and uh, uh, what I like to do is to is to create a story before I start writing on a novel. Mm-hmm. I I spend a lot of time uh, working with the plot and uh, working uh, with uh, different scenes that I know uh, are going to be in the story and put it all together. I I will write the synopsis when I come up with, the, with an idea for a novel. I will first write a synopsis of about five pages, then uh, twenty pages with uh, with the plot, and then a uh, hundred pages where I uh, start working on the characters. And just often, if if I write some dialogue, the uh, the, the um, you will see the characters. They, they, they are sometimes I, I just start writing di- dialogue and uh, the dialogue will sort of create the character instead of the other way around sometimes. Mm. Um, and when I've written a synopsis of 100 pages, th- then I really know my story. And that's the feeling I like to have when I sit down and start writing novel. I mean, when I write chapter one. It's not the feeling of starting to create a story. But mm-hmm. I like to have the feeling of retelling a story that's already there. So I can sort of tell my readers that, okay, come sit closer because I have this really great story that I want to tell you. And so so, so to give you that feeling that I know the story, you don't know the story, I know it, I'm not creating this now. I'm, I'm, I'm retelling a story and my only job is not to destroy the perfect story that's already there. Uh, so that's why I spend so much time, you know, before I actually start writing the novel. This sounds like uh, you're, in a sense, trying to recreate your family kitchen table. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, that's a good point because well, that was exactly what we did there. It was we had heard all the stories before, and actually, you know, uh, my my big brother would uh, would tell a story that my father had told, you know, ten times before. <laughs> uh-huh. and he would retell the story, in, and he would try to tell it even better than my father had told it. You know, so so it was sort of um, sort of a yeah, um, tr- trying to tell it, find the perfect way way to tell uh, that one story. Um, talk about uh, some some of the the the, the crimes that that you that uh, you write about. You you have a really interesting sense of 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 crime, I think, and I think if this comes from you know your your setting, Norway, which is unfamiliar to us. Uh, how when you're when you're in that synopsis creating phase, do you like look for uh, newspaper stories, or do you just think? You know, I think it'd be a really good idea to start, you know, robbing banks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. thinking about the well, nemesis. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, actually, uh, I think um, I normally I, I don't look for real crime. I uh, uh, I don't get my inspiration there because I, I write fiction. Mm-hmm. And although I use uh, the Norwegian society and Oslo as a backdrop, I also... I have created the Oslo that is just a little bit darker 
mm-hmm. a little bit more. Uh, it's sort of a Gotham City version of uh, of <laughs> Oslo in a way, um, but it but it is Oslo, and it's not that far fetched because um, uh, 15, 20 years ago, Oslo was this very innocent village in the north of Europe. Uh, what happened was that uh, um, you had organized crime coming to Oslo. Um, and uh, nowadays, uh, Oslo is one of the worst cities in uh, in Europe when it comes to um, uh, death from overdoses. So heroin is a big factor in, uh, in uh, Norway, and uh, especially in the big cities. Um, and you have... Um, uh, international uh, cartels working the, the the drug business and also international cartels uh, running prostitution uh, which is growing in uh, in uh, in especially in Oslo um, and you also in a, in especially in the 90s you had uh, you had really professional Norwegian gangs robbing banks and they did it you know uh, in, a, in a military style you had for example in the in the 90s you had a big robbery in uh, in the small town of Stavanger and it was like a scene taken out of uh, Heat you mm-hmm. know a movie with Al Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro uh, and it was like this town was under siege for for uh, many many hours and uh, the police and the and the robbers were shooting at each other, and one police officer was uh, was killed, and they used automatic weapon. It was like a war, and it was crazy. After that, um, they um, uh, they arrested many of the you know um, uh, the top bank robbers in uh, in uh, Norway. I actually met one of them uh, a few years earlier in in a, in a small village in Brazil, where, where he told me about his really work, work as bank robber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Um, and so, so what did he say? <laughs> oh well, uh, I asked him. Um, he he was there in a small village where um, it was uh, uh, on the west coast of, uh, of Brazil. This was many years ago, and it was a place where um, you know hippies used uh, used to go uh, in the winter time uh, to make the jewelry that they would then go back to Europe and America and sell in the streets. But it was also a hiding place for criminals, uh, South American criminals and uh, criminals from all over the world. And uh, I, I was there traveling with uh, two friends and uh, we met these three Norwegian guys and they would be um, doing coke and uh, one of them came from the drugstore with uh, all kinds of stuff. So he'll read on the bottles um, uh, what they contained, you know, and w- whether they were uppers or downers. And uh, yeah, so... And then uh, we we started talking and asking. Um, uh, two two of the guys worked as uh, as oil workers in the North Sea, so they had like three weeks off and three weeks on, and then they would come to the uh, to Brazil. But the third guy, I asked him, "What do you do for a living?" Uh, he said, "Well, I'm a bank robber." <laughs> okay, I said, "Really? <laughs> yeah." And he told me all the banks he robbed, and I said, "Okay, and how is business now?" Well, he said, "You know, usually I get caught and I have to um, I have to go to jail, but uh, the last robbery was successful. We got away, so now I'm here." <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's wild. Um, one of the things that 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 also makes your uh, novel so interesting is. Um, the way and it, and it's a classic thing about the, the the crime fiction is crime fiction allows you to look at every level of society with equal amounts of dispassion that your detective can hang out with the lowest of the low and be accepted among them and he can intrude upon the highest of the high and 
they they have to accept him and, and uh, as an equal, really. So talk about investigating Norwegian society with Harry Hole, which must be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Norway's uh, past is that we've been a very poor country. And uh, traditionally, um, you have had uh, like um, uh, a, a society where you, you don't have really poor people uh, uh, nor very rich people, um, uh, and that uh, separates Norway from from Denmark and Sweden in a way where you had a more of a class society. Um, and one reason is that Norway was poor; everybody was poor uh, in the in the nineteen. Uh, but but they weren't starving. Mm-hmm. Um, in the nineteen twenties, uh, Norway was one of the three poorest countries in in Europe, together with you know, Portugal and Greece and Ireland. Um, but what happened was that uh, Norwegian society step by step uh, improved their standard of uh, living. And in the 1970s, um, we found oil, or actually you Americans found oil outside uh, um, uh, the Norwegian coast. And suddenly, over a few years, Norway would go from being a, uh, a uh, well a country that was well off to being one of the richest countries in the world. And um, uh, it has changed Norwegian society in many ways. And uh, um, for the first time, you have really, really rich people in uh, Norway. But there still is this tradition of, you know, it's it's been run by... uh, Actually, all political parties in Norway are social democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them call themselves conservatives, and you have a labor party. But it's um, it's it's consensus, you know, all over the all over the line. What the the the, the issues that they fight over are, uh, you know, tiny issues. It's uh, it's not really politics. It's just administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's a it's it's um, it's a social democrat society, where you where society actively try to re- reduce the distance between the poor and the rich. But it's uh, it's been harder uh, the, the last 20, 20 years uh, with so much oil money flowing into the country. So um, uh, it's um, uh, Harry is exploring a society that is changing and where you have, uh, have uh, rich people trying to um, ty- uh, trying to make money and to, to, to use the system. Uh, Norwegian society is kind of an innocent society. It's uh, it's uh, uh, you know a country where uh, I would say that uh, Norwegian people are, are are known to be a bit naive but very honest people. Um, so it's um, uh, when the organized crime came to Norway, it was like you know the grown ups coming in taking uh, the goodies <laughs> away from the children. You know <laughs> that was the feeling uh, we had in uh, Norway. But it's uh, everything is changing now. It's uh, uh, I think the society is, is is becoming a bit uh, a bit harder, maybe a bit colder than it used to be. You you mentioned that a lot of your influences were were movies, and your prose is really has uh, some of that feel. The the uh, uh, you know what is often described as a cinematic feel. But I think it the, if it's a cinema if your prose has a cinematic feel it's a dark mm, mm. <laughs> it takes place in the dark and it's pretty dank and and all you need to do is hang a few monsters from the ceiling and it could go from uh, Norway to some science fiction surreal science fiction kind mm. of setting uh, mm. talk about uh, creating uh, that kind of movie feel and maybe talk about some of the movies that that you found 
that you see when you read your books and you think, oh man, this is, reminds me of this. I'm, I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. Um, I'd say that the movies that I've that I've seen over and over is um, uh, I, w- I wish I could say that it's a movie that you haven't heard about and that is really original pick, but uh, it it would have to be The Godfather. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that's like that that, that uh, storytelling technique and the and and the passion that you find in the in the in the, in the storytelling uh, style there it's so inspiring and uh, but also um, uh, uh, yeah another um couple of mo- uh, couple of movie is of course um, the conversation mm. i think it's called in uh, in mm. english with uh, with uh, gene hackman gene hackman one of my favorites yeah and it's a great movie and it's a great story mm-hmm. and uh, but it's a bit more low key than uh, mm-hmm. than uh, the godfather uh, so I think those movies, but also um, uh, Seven is a great uh, <laughs> is a great movie. We, we mentioned that before we start uh, started talking, uh-huh. and, uh, or you mentioned it. So uh, it's, it's one of my favorites too. Uh, but also um, interesting movies like um, like uh, The Usual Suspects. I, I like that's a typical. You know, it, it it it's sort of movies that doesn't try to avoid the cliches. This, but they sort of embrace the cliches because because they lie. They love the cliches of the of the crime novel or the crime story, and I like that. Uh, that's what I like, uh, for example, about uh, Frank Miller's uh, Sin City series, both as uh, graphic novels and uh, as a movie. Uh, I like to do that, you know, to to use the genre uh, and to use the rules of the genre because it creates a sort of a because there are rules to how you how a story mm-hmm. should be told, and that uh, uh, that allows uh, an um, uh, intimacy between the reader and the writer. Um, y- you can play with the reader. You can sort of uh, say that okay, uh, it's a crime novel. You you have certain expectations here, and you can play with those expectations. You have to sort of. Um, um, you have to follow the rules to a certain extent, but then at a certain point you can break the rules. Um, but it's uh, that sort of uh, that you you will make the reader the reader trust you hopefully, but then you will deceive him or her at certain points. And uh, and that that you know playful kind of storytelling I uh, I really like. Uh, you know I absolutely love this notion. I, I've never heard anybody articulate this this well before about. The genre conventions allowing creating a, 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 an intimacy between the reader and the writer because there's an unspoken conversation going on between us when we read this when we read your books when we read the Red Breast or or the Devil's Star you know we'll let's just talk a little bit this Devil Star is your newest book it, it involves a serial killer we. I, I pick this up and I, I go, okay, here's a serial killer story. And I have a whole, you know, shelf of serial killer books up in my head. And I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And there's this conversation between us. It, there, I read, you put something on the page and I read it. But there's a whole conversation that's unspoken between us about the history of the literature based on the rules and the way you are writing them and rewriting them. That's right, and I—I uh, I mean, I, I expect my readers to be smart, <laughs> <laughs> and I expect them to, to to have you know seen some of the movies that I've seen and and read the, uh, some of the books. So um, it's um, 
I try to be smarter than I am because I'm no smarter <laughs> than my reader, really. But I, I, so I have to spend more time than my reader, you know, to 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 uh, uh, to sort of uh, uh, try to trick them. Now, um, when you try to trick yourself, I one of the things I, I I like about these books, and it surprises me the way when you describe the way you write them, which is to you know. Uh, essentially pitch, synopsize, uh, flesh out the outline, and then finally sit down and, and retell the story. It seems to me that um, that these books seem really fresh when we read them, and you your character goes places. As you say, sometimes he makes decisions we don't expect him to make. We don't, No reasonable person would make that decision, and, and that's what we like about Harry Holes is that mm-hmm. he is unpredictable. Um, uh, but how do you, um, having... Knowing the story so well as you do when you sit down to type it, to, to write out the final novel, how do you create that sense of suspense and freshness when it's to you? It's, you know, you, you probably, you, you've got a timeline on the damn mm. thing, a database. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, I was surprised when I started writing. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I would come home late at night and I would feel really inspired a bit drunk and really inspired <laughs> and i would sit time uh, down and i would type you know uh, or or record a song uh because and and i would think it was wonderful and i would wake up the next morning and i would run you know to to hear what i had recorded or read what i had written because i i remember feeling so inspired i w- and it would be just crap you know i had to throw it away um so i was surprised to find that um when you when it feels like you're in trouble when it feels difficult uh when you have to sort of uh you know every sentences is a, is a sen- it's it's labor you know it's uh and it doesn't feel fresh at all it's um, agonizing yeah and you you work on your sentences over and over and then when it's in a novel later you can see that it's often the passages that you had to work hardest on. It's those passages that feels fresh and it feels easy because you have worked on them for uh, for so long. So I, I I wish it was the other way around. <laughs> you know that <laughs> the days when you feel really everything is just uh, going smoothly and you it's just a type of way it comes to you. But um, afterwards, when you look at it, it's um, uh, when it. It was a famous Norwegian writer called Dag Solstad. He is one of our greatest uh, writers. He doesn't write crime, but uh, he he told me that uh, whenever he felt felt like this is easy, now it's easy, then he would stop writing because then he knew he was tired. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a <laughs> that's very interesting. Now, uh, you we have three books here in the U.S. Um, and I think there are maybe five out in English. I think in the UK there's there's a couple extra. Um, so do you do you know what the plans are for publication? Will we get the first two novels? One of the things, what you know, I read The Devil Star first, and then I said, well, gosh, this guy has so much history. I I, I love, you know, his history. So I went back and, and and read the other ones. And what I told my readers was, you know, buy The Devil Star, but start with the red breast because you're going to get fur- will we get further back do you know what the plans are for the translation or publication of your other stuff 
Um, well, first of all, there's already two more novels after Devil Star that has been translated to English, mm-hmm. and uh, they have been published in uh, in the UK right. uh, and also in uh, in Canada. Um, so, uh, so uh, here in the United States, you're actually a bit behind. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you will you will catch up in a, a, a year and a half, I think. Okay. Uh, the first two novels uh, uh, we didn't uh, try to to to, to sell abroad. Uh, and that was sort of my my decision mm-hmm. because it was about Harry going to Australia, and I thought, uh, how interesting can it be for foreigners to read about a Norwegian going to Australia? At least it should be in Oslo, you know. So um, uh, if people uh, were interested in Norway, they should read about Harry in in Oslo. Um, but uh, now the the series is so popular in the UK, so uh, they have decided they want to translate the first two books also, which takes place in. In Australia, the first one, and in Bangkok, uh, the second one. Um, so uh, hopefully, um, you you will see them here in a couple of years or something. Uh, talk about uh, creating, you know, developing Harry's character. And one of the things that I think you do really well um, th- that keeps us coming back for for mystery readers, uh, mystery series, is the recurring characters. Um, Tom Waller. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, why? Why are I? I really wonder why these kind of repugnant snake-like characters <laughs> are just so wonderful to read about. Why? Why do you think that is? Uh, I think when you when you create a, a character like that, you 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 have to sort of um, um, there are so many dis so many things you dislike about that person, but you have to find a couple of things that sort of. Um, connects him to humanity you mm-hmm. know that he, uh, he has to be th- th- there has to be certain things that you like about him also it could be that he's charming and so uh, I mean this person that uh, I mean he's very hard to like <laughs> but there has to be some things that mm-hmm. you sort of uh, unconsciously like about him to make him interesting and uh, in this case I think Harry's problem is that he really hates this guy uh, Tom Bowley, who is a corrupt police officer, and he's a he's a great investigator, but um, he's corrupt and he makes money uh, selling uh, selling weapon, uh, and there are also um, uh, other police officers who are uh, uh, cooperating with uh, him, and uh, while Harry is this lonely wolf that. That they're a bit afraid of because uh, they don't know what he's going to do, and he's not the type of loyal police officer that would be, uh, you know, loyal towards the uh, the the, uh, the police force. So um, he doesn't know what he's going to do. Sometimes. No, that's right. That's <laughs> right. So. Um, so, um, but uh, Harry's problem is that he he can see the similarities, you know, mm-hmm. between himself and and Tom Bowler. And I, I think that um, Harry, in, in in many ways, he he hates, you know, is uh, or he despises himself, you know. It's uh, so, and all the things that he despises about himself, or many of the things he despises about himself, he's, he can see in uh, this Tom Bowler character, and that makes him hate him even uh, even more. And uh, and also for the reader, I think it's a bit disturbing, you know, that they can probably see that there are similarities between Harry and mm-hmm. uh, Tom uh, mm-hmm. Tom Bowler. And actually, what happens over the series is that Harry is becoming a more and more dubious character. He's uh, he's having more and more trouble making the right 
moral choices. And that's what I like about him, you know, that he's sort of drifting towards the dark side. And what you want to know as a reader is whether he is going to be saved before he goes to hell. Is he going to heaven or is he going to hell? <laughs> that is actually what we're looking for in every story, I think, that, uh, you know, in a typical uh, disaster movie, you will have the hero driving away from the volcano that has erupted. And you will, of course, want to know whether he will get away or not. But what you really want to know is whether he's going to do the right thing. Is he going to stop and turn back and drive towards the volcano to save his worst enemy who's stuck there? That is what you really want to know. Is he going to make that choice? Well, that's a. <laughs> I I I wouldn't want to be uh, Harry's worst enemy stuck at that volcano. <laughs> no, right, right, because he can't be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, um, as influenced as you are by the movies, um, and interested in them, do you see these as be- being movies? When you write these, do you think about, well, gosh, this could be a movie, or or. Has there been any interest in that in that for you? And I mean, I don't know what the film business is like in in uh, mm. Norway. Mm. Uh, uh, I've been over the years. I've uh, I've had uh, uh, I've had some offers here for 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 movies, but I I've turned them down uh, for different reasons. But uh, reasons. But most important uh, because I don't want to destroy the universe of the novels. Uh, mm. I mean, the movie uh, is such a strong medium compared to the novel. Um, so I'm afraid that um, uh, if you had the guy playing Harry, that would sort of be Harry in the reader's minds and perhaps also in my mind. So I'm still writing the series. So I said no up till now. Um, I said, let me finish the series first. And if you're still interested, come back. Because right now, instead of having one guy playing Harry, I'd rather there be, you know, a thousand Harrys in the heads of my readers. That's a fascinating observation. And that's that's absolutely true. That's one thing uh, I always prefer the, the universe of the books. Now, this indicates to me what you're saying is you have some idea what's going to happen to Harry. I, I do. I, I have a storyline for him. And um, his, what I, I'm not going to tell you how many novels there will be or how it will end, but what I can tell you is that uh, he is not going to have eternal life, and when it's over, he's not going to rise from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I've been speaking with Joe Nespo. His new novel is The Devil's Star. Thank you for joining me, Joe. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.